This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Thanks for being with us today. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, the federal government has temporarily stopped all cruise ships and uh, ferries, although, as you heard, BC Ferries is exempt from the 250 gathering, uh, that number. But cruise ships in particular, any cruise ship that carries more than 500 people will not be allowed to dock in Canadian ports until at least July. And this is one of the measures being taken to protect people against the spread of COVID-19. So let's talk a little bit more about this with Ross Klein, a sociology professor at Memorial University in Newfoundland who studies the cruise ship industry. Ross, thanks for coming back on the program today. Oh, no problem. Good morning. What is your response to, not a huge surprise, but your response to the new rules that any ship that carries more than 500 people not allowed to dock in Canada? Well, I have two reactions. My first reaction is, well, why 500 people? Particularly if you look at where the smaller ships are coming from, they pose in some ways, given their itineraries, perhaps a greater risk than some of the larger ships. Um, but the, but the, the other question is, is this being coordinated with other, uh, uh, the, the other countries that, let's say, benefit from Alaska cruises? So it seems not in, the la- in our best interest as Canada to decide that, well, cruises can start in Seattle, they can go in Alaska, but they can't stop in Canada. We're playing right into the hand of the cruise industry. There's in the U.S. what's called the Passenger Vessel Services Act of 1886. The cruise industry has wanted to get this dismantled for years, decades. What this requires is that as a foreign-flagged vessel, which all the cruise ships are, they have to have a foreign port if they visit from one U.S. port to another. That's why Victoria has the cruise ships it has. That's why Vancouver developed as a cruise port. Uh, what I could see happening is the cruise industry will push pressure the U.S. government to waive the Passenger Vessel Services Act during this period. And after this period, who's to say that the U.S. government won't continue that waiver, which makes B.C. unnecessary as a cruise port? Uh, I think going this alone means that B.C. and Canada is sticking its neck out when Alaska and Washington may have been a party and a cooperating party to the same idea. Uh, So is it your understanding then, uh, even though these rules are being brought in for Canadian ports, so are these cruise ships, the larger ships then are still going to be docking in places like Seattle? At this point, the the only cruises that Seattle has cancelled are two port-of-call visits uh, in early April. One of those would have been going on to Victoria. Uh, They have made no uh, cancellations for their home-ported cruises. And again, at this point, there's an, it's not really necessary if they get a waiver because they can start in Seattle, go to Alaska, and it won't make any difference to the cruise industry other than they'll earn more money and spend less money. Hmm. It's interesting when you put it that way, and because I was wondering as well, when we talk about cruise ships of less than 500 people, are there any cruise ships of that size that even dock in, say, Vancouver or Victoria? Uh, and I think I was looking to see what was coming up in the coming uh, in those couple of months. I didn't see anything offhand in Atlantic Canada. There's the Seven Seas Navigator, which is just below 500 passengers, uh, and I believe there was a German ship just below 500 passengers. Now, I would think the German ship, less than 500 passengers, given the outbreak in Europe, would be a greater risk 
than a cruise ship coming from Montreal and stopping in Halifax. But, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm just, a, uh, j- j- just one of those people observing from the outside. I, it just, it, it, I, I understand the motive behind wanting to not allow cruise passengers in. I think the issues are I, I, they could have had more of a strategy with allies as opposed to going it alone. And they, they, they needed to think about why, why choosing the number they did. Right. And do you think, are people still going to be cruising? I mean, the, the, that was the first industry that health officials came out saying, if you're, go, if you're going to be cruising or this is something that's in your future travel plans, rethink it. And at that point, the cruise industry responded saying, hey, wait a minute, why are you only picking on us? Why are you singling us out? Uh, but do you think the damage has been done there as far as are people even booking these cruises now? Um, I think bookings are are drastically down. It's very difficult to cancel a cruise you've already booked, so that's that's what they're relying on at this point. Um, so I, th- I think they're going to be hard pressed. Uh, some cruise lines, Disney Cruises, for example, Princess Cruises, um, they've ceased operations. They've said we're not we're, we're just taking time off for the next couple of months, and we'll reassess after that, which I think makes infinite sense. And I think when you look at Canada. Canada would have been in a much more powerful position had the industry voluntarily chosen to stop operations than to have it imposed upon them, and then later they make that decision themselves. Right. And I guess, too, the the ban itself, the federal government ban, it's the temporarily banning of cruise ships that carry more than 500 people. I'm guessing one of those big ships that carries, you know, 3,500 people, if, say, only 400 people had booked and were on the ship, they pro- I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing they probably wouldn't sail. But would there be that kind of loophole, them saying, well, we only have 400 people on board, therefore we should still be allowed to dock? Yeah, well, well, the loophole is is in part that because it, it doesn't say capacity, it does say number of passengers on board. But I think the other problem is on the number of crew members. Right. If you've got a a ship with with twenty six hundred passengers, normally even if they have four hundred after the fact, they still they're still going to have you know a thousand crew crew members. Right. So okay. you know, yeah, you could have four hundred passengers, but you can have fifteen hundred people on board. Right. <laughs> it's just, I guess, not thinking things through from the perspective. I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm not always a, a proponent for the cruise industry, but looking at it from the cruise industry perspective, um, I, if I was them, I'd be looking at this and saying, gee, they've just played right into our hand. Because they didn't want to be forced to make these stomps anyway. Well, and because they now have a basis to argue against the Passenger Vessel Services Act. Mm-hmm. See, this Passenger Vessel Services Act applies to cruise ships and to airlines. And it's the airline, the cruise lines have wanted to get rid of it. Airlines want it because it's protectionist. This allows for the first time the, 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 the government to have a, a, a basis to decide, well, let's separate cruise from airlines under the same legislation. That's the danger. What do you think is going to happen? You mentioned the crew members, and I think that's part of this that often gets overlooked. In many of these cases, it's crew members from different countries. They spend time on these ships. They send, spend, uh, send money home. Uh, what happens to these crew members if all of a sudden these ships aren't sailing? Uh, well, I saw an article this morning already on some ships. The crew members are quite anxious because they realize they're likely to be sent home. And, of course, if they're sent home, there's no money. They, don't, they, they have no income. Uh, the, the, the workers on cruise ships have very few labor rights. So if the cruise ship closed down operations and said, we don't need you, 
they send you home and you're basically there until they decide to call you back, which is which for people who are already in a very marginal position is particularly difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think then, so this is being uh, billed as a postponement, saying that the cruise ship industry is being postponed until July to protect against the COVID-19 pandemic. How, how do you see the cruise ship industry or can it, how long will it take, do you think, to recover? Um, I think it depends on how long the the pandemic lasts. Uh, I think if it if this kind of resolves itself, let's say within the next you know two, three, four weeks, I would think that the cruise industry will be up and running uh, as early as June. If this persists into and through the summer, uh, this could be something that plagues the industry into the fall. Particularly since in the fall, you then have other common like influenza a a common problem on board cruise ships so i think it's it's too early to know but it certainly has had a major impact on the industry and i think their their biggest challenge now is to try to find a way of regaining both a positive image but also regaining consumer confidence Uh, absolutely and we'll uh, have to wait and see there sorry were you going to say something else oh no no okay i I just uh, yeah All right. Well, Ross, it's always good to talk to you and uh, get your expertise on this. Appreciate you coming back on the show today. Thank you so much. Okay, great chatting with you. All right. That is Ross Klein. He's a sociology professor at Memorial University in Newfoundland.